As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. As health and well-being macro trends continue to gain momentum, the alcohol industry is quickly filling up liquor shelf space with lower calorie drinks. The rise of mindful drinking has taken hold internationally and now Australia is riding exactly the same wave. Hard seltzer is a subtly flavoured alcoholic sparkling water that doesn't taste like it has any alcohol in it at all. Yep, doesn't taste like it's got any booze. In the space of less than two years, the category has exploded into the Australian retail landscape, drawing product ranges from big and small names in the local industry and as well as attracting international brands too. Which is why Andy Scorer and Will Morgan couldn't resist getting a piece of that industry with their independently owned Fella brand. Both Will and Andy have global experience working with some of the most iconic beverage brands in the world and met each other while working at an alcohol company, Pernod Ricard. They saw that the pre-mix category was moving towards lower calorie and light fresh trends and created an Australian brand. Fella is expected to hit 500%, yep, 500% growth in the next financial year. Within a year, Fella was available in all of Australia's major chains and independent liquor stores. They've had to move fast and they have to keep up that momentum as more and more want to get in on this seltzer market. So let's get into it. Will and Andy, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks, man. Thanks for having going, us. Right? Yeah, Great good. Here. I'm getting accents here. Uh, <laughs> where are you from? Yeah, I'm from California originally. originally. Yeah. Then moved to New Zealand, did 13 years there, and now I'm in Australia. So <laughs> you still got your California, well, to me, you still got your California accent. <laughs> yeah. I'm from New Zealand originally. Yeah. So I moved here about 12 years ago. So yeah. yeah. So none of his Californian accents rubbed off onto you. <laughs> Probably a little bit, but uh, yeah, yeah, I do have a bit of a mixed accent, people say. But yeah, yeah. A little bit, yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And none of his New Zealand accents ru- uh, rubbed off on you. Well, I don't know. I go home and everyone says I have an accent. Serious? And then, yeah, and then when I come here, people are like, no, you still have a strong American accent. Totally, from my so. point of view. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> totally. But it's a good accent. sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Okay. Uh, so let's just sort of work you two guys out here a little bit. Um, both from New Zealand at one stage. Why the hell did you go to New Zealand? Um, I was playing water polo actually. 
came out here, played a season, and then someone over in New Zealand that I knew was like, hey, do you want to come play out here? And league's not that good out there, but I was just traveling the world, fresh out of university. Then met my wife, now wife, stayed over there for 13 years. <laughs> so, what more about like we... Um, I just played it growing up, played division one in NCAAs. Um, and then there's no pro league after that. So you work your whole life to play this sport and then done with the university and you're like, I'm in my prime, want to keep going. And then two options are kind of, um, Europe. The other option was go to Australia. It's not the, the best league, but it's fun. Still get to play, still competitive. So who'd you play for? Played for Wes. Okay. Yeah. My bro- what grade? Did you play first grade or? Yeah, first grade. First grade, yeah. yeah. My brother still plays water polo. Oh, think. really? He plays for, um, he played for lots of, he played for Cronulla for a while. Then he played for Balmain. Sharks, while. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure who he plays for now, but like he's 60 something, so he's yeah. still playing, but it's, he's like fourth grade or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And all my kids, play, not all my kids, all his kids and my kids all, all play water polo together. Um, yeah, I think they all play up. in Balmain. I get hit up to do the social stuff, but yeah. I don't want to be that guy that like yeah, takes it, it too pretty, serious. It is pretty full, well, it's pretty full on war applause. Like it's yeah. an intense game. Yeah. Like was seven minutes a quarter or something. Yeah. yeah. Eight minutes. Eight yeah. minutes. Yeah. It's pretty full on. It's yeah. underwater, a lot of shit yeah. going on. I play Sunday basketball league, you know, and you get those guys that take away too serious. And I'm always like, dude, it's social league. So I don't want to be that guy playing water polo. So I'm, I'm done. Well, there's plenty of that. I've been out of the games. There's plenty of those yeah. of, the, the, of that guy in those games. I've seen them. Yeah. Uh, Will, are you a water polo player or? No, no. I never How'd you guys hook up? Uh, so we were both working at Pena Ricard. So yeah. We so were, who's that again? So Pena Ricard is one of the biggest uh, alcohol companies in the world. So right. based out of France. Right. So owns like Jamison, um, Jacobs Creek, Absolute. Uh, and just a whole I'm Jacob's group, the Australian mm-hmm. white yeah, yeah, so they own Champagne Moom. Yeah, Champagne right. Moom, Stonely. Yeah. So we both worked there. So Andy was in sales, so doing on-premise sales, and I was in marketing and innovation. So, yeah, we just kind of were friends there and got talking about opportunities and mm. always spoke about wanting to do our own thing. Well, there's something in there. Like, so um, often um, partners, partnerships get born in business environments or in a, a sort of a collegiate way. Mm. Um, you both found yourselves working at a company that had a whole lot of alcohol brands mm-hmm. in here in Sydney, yeah. Australia, and uh, one was in sales and one was in marketing. Well, and how do you get together? Like, because you know, I know so many people that are um, working in organizations and they're, they're thinking to themselves, I've got this idea, mm. and they think, I wonder who it is in this place would like to do this <laughs> with me. And so, how did yeah. you go about it? I mean, do you, do, do you both have a separate idea and, and, and sort of claimed each other, or did you both? just become mates first and then work out that you could do something outside. No, we're mates first. And I think, as you point out, when you're in that corporate environment, you kind of know the people that are going to be corporates for life. And then you kind of know guys that are kind of, I'm here to learn. And break I, I don't want to be here for the rest of my life. And that discussion came up with Will and I, cause we were friends and chatting about it. And, you know, we always wanted to kind of say like, let's do something or I don't want to be here forever. I want to start my own thing. And you know, I'm from the States. Seltzers are massive there. White Claw dominated. It's outselling Bud Light over there. So I kind of knew it from seeing it from the States. And Will was in the innovation team. And what happened? You went over to Europe and they had a whole summit on Seltzers yeah. over there. Just saw how, I guess, all the European com- countries as well were really kind of looking at that space, like RTDs, because RTDs in Australia. What's are- an RTD? 
uh, ready to drink, right. so a pre-mix uh, drink. So Australia's got a very mature market with RTDs. They've had it for 20, 30 years, you know, your Jim Beam and Cokes, Jack Daniels and Cokes. I so know. You know them mm. well, nice. <laughs> when I was 19. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, they've been around forever, so it's one of the top three markets globally, so up there with the US and the UK. Mm. So globally it hadn't really taken off. So when we're in Europe, we start to see that, all the different companies, all the big brand companies around the world were quite interested in RTDs in that premix space. So seeing that kind of groundswell happening and then seeing what was happening with craft premixes in New Zealand and then also, I guess, in the States, we kind of saw that there was nothing really in market that really tapped into that craft premix space. It was all those kind of heritage brands like Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, and nothing like the craft beer boom that had happened before. So we saw a big opportunity there to do something unique and bring a really kind of authentic Aussie craft beer company through or craft beverage brand through to tap into that space. Mm. Yeah, like, but I just, I always sort of, um, and I've been down the craft beer thing myself and I was ahead of the market. Like I came in too early and more importantly, I got out too early, <laughs> um, mainly because it was a punish. We couldn't get in corporate owned liquor stores. Yeah. You had to be at the front of the store. If yeah. you got down the back of the store, then to get the front of the store, you had to drop your price, which meant my margin got crushed. And mm. I couldn't sell enough volume to make enough money. You know, it was just a fucking punish, you know, like mm, yeah. excise and bloody this duty and that duty. Like it was, oh, it was, a, it was a brain fuck, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I got it. I got into early. I got out too early. Um. And you know, and I was walking around, work trying to work out because it was like a dream thing for me, you know, have a beer business, yeah, have yeah, a beer yeah. brainer, one of those dreams. And uh, and then I was always trying to work out, well, who could I do it with? Um. And I didn't work in environments like you guys did, but. I've always wondered, like, uh, when do you work out, is this a dude that I can work with? Like, mm-hmm. what do you, I mean, do you actually sit down purposely and think to yourself, I can work with this guy? I can work with Andy. Like, he's a, a <laughs> well, decent we worked sort of, quite closely together. Yeah, at, on, anyway. On, yeah. Well, yeah. At, at Perno, we did a right. lot of collaborative projects. So, Will and I launched what was Cocktails on Tap um in in the on-premise so we go into venues we pre-batched espresso martinis porn star martinis um installed the taps created the product and then pushed it out in those ways so will took care of the innovation side working with the producers to actually create the product create a brand around it and then my team on the on-premise would go in and sell it in so Will and I worked together on that and we always worked really close and, and worked well together. So I think we already knew that we could work together, communicate well together, um, and we're on the same wavelength on a lot of things. So when we were kind of chatting about, hey, what are you going to do? Are you always going to stay at Perno? And we said, no, it's, you know, I want to start my own thing. So do I. And then this whole thing came up of like, Fuck, seltzers are booming. <laughs> like, Absolutely. should we do it? I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by that that, that conversation, though. Like, because yeah. you think so, man, I've been not telling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been not telling because, you know, like, one, it's an idea and he, <laughs> yeah. might, he might knock yeah. it off. But two, if I tell him and he's not interested, he might go and tell someone else yeah. in the organization and then I'm in the shit. Yeah. Who made the first move? Like, we had a barbecue together or your families and mates? I think we were just chatting about it. Mm. We, just, we both saw that the opportunity was coming and we were like, look, I mean, this could really kick off. And I think that's the one thing you always want to kind of like sound people out first. And, you know, I think, I think we both needed that extra, like that other person to go, yeah, let's do it. And mm. then it's like, both of us were like, well, okay, we could do this. Let's, cause if we we're in a big corporate, we would need to jump out of the company first. So there was no chance of doing them, doing yeah, this project you couldn't do a side, side by side. No. Yeah. We had to go all in and quit our job. So it was a big conversation at first. Yeah. And then I think I remember the day that we were both like, let's, do it. Yeah. We're going to quit our jobs and we planned out when we we're going to quit. And then 
we wanted to do right by Aperno because obviously we loved working there and it yeah. was a great, great company. So we made sure we kind of really got the project going as soon as we jumped out of the business. Mm. And it's funny that recently someone left one of my organizations, he'd been there for a long time, and uh, he was quite a senior person. And, um, and I just assumed it was COVID and exhaustion and all that sort of stuff, you know, the great. What do they call it? The uh, great resignation great, great now. Resignation. <laughs> and um, and I thought, wow, it's actually happening. And uh, then I found out he popped up around the corner in a, a startup, sort of a sort of a similar, well, definitely similar industry, but a sort of a similar role. And um, I thought to myself, uh, wow, he learned a lot out of my organisation. Mm. Uh, they're not competitors, but but nonetheless, I felt a little bit pissed off um, in the beginning. And then I thought, oh, who cares? But because everyone leaves ultimately, but mm. um, do those thoughts go through your head? Am I doing the wrong thing by the company? I mean, did you sort of wrestle a little bit with this stuff? Oh, like, definitely. And I do you think. feel like you're like a bit deceitful because you might be thinking about it, like just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel a little, a little bit of pang, some pang of conscience? Yeah, I think one, it's you, you don't want to do wrong by them. They've, you know, we worked there for many years, we're friends with. You know, the MD, we're friends with all the managers, friends with all of our employees. But I think when you have an itch to do something, it, you know, you, your soul's not in it 100%. You got to go with yeah. what, what you know is right. And we didn't do it like Will said. We didn't do anything malicious. We didn't do anything like that. We you didn't steal the client list them. or something. No, no. no. But kept our relationships with them. <laughs> <laughs> so what, 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 okay, but like how how... Did you do it? Like, tell me about the moment you thought, yep, that's it. On Monday morning, we're going to go in and we're going to both give a resignation. Well, the, the liquid courage helped. We were having some beers <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we said, okay, fuck it, let's do it. And yeah. we just, uh, that was the day we we did it. We were drinking beers. In the morning? No, 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 not in the morning. <laughs> we're sitting in the foyer though, weren't we? We were yeah, just yeah. in the seats and just like, all right, cool. Well, I'll, I'll go first. And yeah. then, yeah, you go like a few weeks later. So, oh, you, you went and t- told your respective. Reports bosses. or bosses, whatever yeah, you call it. Yeah. So, How'd that go? Um, it went, it went fine. Like I think they knew that there was a bit of frustration on my end with where I was at in the company and where I was going. Um, I'd had those conversations before, so I think it was just, you know. But it's an interesting conversation because you're like, they're like, well, so what are you going to do? It's yeah, like, mm. oh, I'm just off to do some consulting, like mm. you know, just yeah, yeah. independent consulting and just yeah, just spin a, a yarn. So yeah, more yeah. more for soft landing than deception, though. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's just yeah. But there's nothing wrong with it either. No, it's normal. It happens everywhere, yeah. and a lot of innovation, yeah. well, well, initiative and in, with innovation, comes out of people who work in big organisations because a lot of times the big organisations they like to be innovative, but they're a bit slow. Yes, yeah. and it can be a bit frustrating. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and, and fair enough, they don't need to take the risk because they've already got the revenue lines. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, I mean, for me, the way it looks to me is that I'm prepared to take the risk, all the risk. I'm prepared to fuck it up and live by the sword, sword die by the sword, mm. which they're not. So yeah. it's a time for me to go and take it on yeah. myself. Yeah, I think yeah. there's always a frustration that those bigger corporates, they always move quite slow. Yeah. So there's just so many hoops to jump through, so many stakeholders, everything like that. So any kind of new innovation, it generally takes a very long time to do. Well, I guess Andy and I knew from, I guess, doing our research that we could actually turn it around pretty quickly mm. and get something out into market, which we knew we'd have to very quickly because we knew that there was going to be about 40 or 50 following us very closely. So there was an inspiration. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there was. we kind of saw what was happening in New Zealand. There's this kind of, uh, craft premix kind of grounds were happening and it was really taking a lot of share from beer and wine and everything mm. like that and then i guess coupled with the seltzer boom that's happening in the states 
we kind of saw that this kind of low calorie alternative to beer, uh, alternative to vodka, um, was really kind of kind of taking off. And because there was that missing gap of craft um, premixes, there wasn't really anything in market. We knew that there was a market for it. Australia would have the taste for it. So I think it was just, yeah, we just saw that gap. What's the thing about craft? I mean, why all of a sudden, why is there a shift in consumers' behaviour? I think at Perno we were kind of, you know, you get a lot of access to data. It's an industry within mm. itself and these big companies pay a lot of money for that and mm. it gets presented to them by an agency and things like that. So seeing that and knowing that that data is out there and knowing what the trends are definitely yeah. sparked that. But then there's also the aspect of this craft revolution that, I mean, you can't really quantify that why people want it, but consumer trends, people don't want to have mainstream everyday stuff that everyone has. They want something new. They want something authentic. People can relate to. They want to be proud to share it. They want to be proud to drink it. They want to be seen drinking it. Those are the brands that are really mm. growing and, and thriving in today's industry. It's, it's very interesting because this morning I heard as parts of the world become more wealthy, mm. Australia being one of them, of course, New Zealand being another one, as we become a more wealthy nation, um, we spend more money on alcohol yep. in two ways. We have more of it. <laughs> we consume yeah. more of it by volume, but we spend more per volume. Is there some sort of behavioural psychology behind this? Is it mm. about us rewarding ourselves? People just love sharing new stories, new products with people. If you take a Smirnoff or an established like heritage brand like a Smirnoff to a party, then people are going to be like, they okay. know what it is. It's not unique. People these days, A, they're wanting to spend a little bit more, but they're also wanting to be an expert in, say, a category or bring something new and share a story. And I think that's where, for us, brand building is building that authentic brand that mm. has a really strong story behind it that people get excited about. They believe in it. They can get behind it and then share it with their friends and share the story. So sharing yep. has a, a big part of the behavioral change that we're experiencing we have more platforms to share our stories too yeah and for us i mean we we charge a premium for our product and so we're never going to compete with a smirnoff or something on price so wh what are we going to do to convince someone to pay that extra two dollars it's building mm -hmm. that affinity to the brand it's building that um connection with a customer that will be like right i'll pay an extra two bucks because i love the flavor but i also love what these guys are doing how has this demand arisen is it because we're, we are more wealthy or we're just more adventurous what, what do you think it is I, I think it's probably the wealth and adventure as well and i think it's a combination i think probably adventure drives it more because people that aren't wealthy are still adventurous looking for these new products it, i mean the whole alcohol industry has shifted with this craft revolution you know it kind of started in beer now you've got it in spirits your low batched spirits and then you've got wine as well we noticed that the RTD category didn't have any of that. It was all mainstream. Like Will said earlier, you got your Jim Beams, you got your big players, Wild Turkey, but there was none of this like craft experience within the RTD category. And that's where we kind of saw that growing in New Zealand, but nothing in Australia. I think it's the health and wellness kind of phase as well. That trend's really kind of mm -hmm. been kicking off. So Again, that's a premiumization Booze? trend as well. <laughs> well, I'm just like the lower calorie, lower, calorie, lower yeah, alcohol yeah. type of um, trend. Better for so, you. Better for you, yeah. yeah. So I think people are willing to pay a little bit more to feel a little bit better about themselves, to drink a little less sugar, that type yeah. of thing. So it was, it's almost like a perfect storm. It's that independent craft revolution um, mixed with that health and wellness space. 
mm. has created this perfect storm where people are willing to seek out new brands, pay a little bit more for a certain product. So you start in, I guess, your more populated, like more affluent kind of areas that are just more around where the brand starts in the center of the cities. Mm. And then I guess build out from there. Because we don't have the media budgets to really talk to the whole of Australia, we focus on, I guess, influential pockets that will then seed the brand out authentically from there. So let's go to the break. We'll come straight back. And we'll, just, we'll talk about this nitty-gritty stuff. And he makes sure it's always the same every time. Mm. You know, how do you work these bloody formulas out and uh, get someone to manufacture these things? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm back here with Andy and Will, and they're from Fella, F E W L R. Um, cool name, actually. Uh, I, I guess the f- they called themselves RTDs or something. I don't know what it is. I don't even know what it stands for. But basically, <laughs> we're talking about uh, alcoholic, seems to be low calorie mixes, um, basically booze in a can. Um, but it is a new trend. And I think the very first thing I want to establish is. What is the product, actual product itself in the can that is? What is in the can? So basically a seltzer is alcohol with soda water, and then you mix in flavoring into that. So the, there's two different types. One is a spirit base, predominantly vodka, neutral grain spirit. But with ours, going back to that craft perspective, we actually wanted to create our own base. So we brew our base in a similar method to beer using rice and corn. Brew that with, and then we put in yeast. Um, and then that brews for about three to four weeks, and we come out with a really crisp, dry alcohol base. Is it clear or colored? Or yeah. It's, it's, it's like base. a clear yeah. base. Yeah. So it's and quite clean looking. It's clean Once looking. You filter it in centrifuge. Yeah. yeah. It comes out quite clear. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. And then, so, but is, is, it, is it more like a beer than, um, a, than a, say, a vodka or a gin? It's, Somewhere in between almost, because what we do is we actually brew the base up to about 16%. So it's a high alcohol base. Yeah. And then we blend it back with the water. So then right. you get the dilution. So our, our drinks for the 330 mils are only 4%. So it's one standard drink per can. Right. So it's 4, 4%. Just remind me, in terms of beer, it's a bit higher than that, isn't it? Normally a normal beer. Yeah. It's about 5 So mid strength around about 3.5, and right. then a normal one's about 4.7 to 5. So yeah. somewhere between a mid strength and a full strength yes. beer yes. in terms of alcoholic level. Yeah. Um, and uh, But you brew it similar to the way you would brew beer. Yes. Um, yeah. so, but it's Same done tanks. with corn and. <clears throat> 
Rice. Rice, rice okay. Yeah. As opposed to um, what's beer, or hops and something else, what is it? Yeah. Like a combination yeah. of mashes and hops. Yeah, and right. Or whiskey, a- which is barley. Yeah. Mm. Usually just barley mashed mm. up. Gives a liquid a bit more viscosity as well than, say, like a distilled vodka. What's that so mean? A bit more like thickness on the palate, a bit more fuller-bodied flavour to it. Yeah. Um, while I guess a, a vodka is, I guess, quite thin. Um, and, yeah, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, as a, like beer has a viscosity, as you say. Exactly, yeah. It's sort of like got, it's got a texture. Yeah, that I can beer taste. has a very full mouthfeel. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Drink yeah. that's full mouthfeel. Is that and the then- bubbles or is it the actual beer itself? It's actually the beer. The, right. the base and everything that's into it. Mm. So it's a combination of everything. So, the, and it's called a seltzer, but I get what it is now. Yeah. Um, is, do you guys have to get into, I mean, obviously you got to have to get a, someone who does the, the brewing, like a, a dude yeah. um, or a cougar, Um but is that the person like not understand the science of all this? Like there's science that attached to this. That was the hardest part. trying to figure yeah. out how to do it because no one's actually done this before. I guess it's very different to what the process the guys do in the US. So we had to come up with the whole process ourselves locally. So we mm. worked with a fo- food scientist locally to come up with that fermentation process to create this brew base. Yeah. Uh, and then finding the right brewer partners who could actually brew um, because it is a different process to beer. It does take a little bit longer. Um, and then finding someone who could scale with us. So yeah. We obviously don't have our own brewery at the moment, but we've had to find really good contract partners who could, mm. um, you know, meet our demand and, and create the product for us. Can you just take me through that? Like, so the first thing you have to do is find the food scientist to come up with the formula, yeah, your formula, and the food scientist might hear the brief, the narrative, you know, and then, then the food scientist comes up with like, because uh, I've just been through this because I've actually <laughs> brewed my own whiskey oh, um, nice. with, with some guys down in um, um, Adelaide called the Bird and Hand Group, um, yep. the one-on-one yeah, people, yeah. and we're mates, and uh, we decided well, let's do a whiskey. I don't know why we did it. We decided <laughs> to do it a long time ago, and our first release comes out sometime ne- early next year. Which, the only reason we're not out now before Christmas is because we couldn't get all our bottles and co- uh, stoppers and stuff because there's a bit of a shortage on things around the world. Yeah. But um, we went, I've been through the process for whiskey. It's a different process, but it's, it's also brewed like beer. Yeah, in the beginning, um, just as a bit strong in the alcohol, <laughs> sixty something percent when it first comes out. But uh, we, I, I experienced, but it's not about me. But I experienced tasting tests. So I kept getting these little bottles sent up to me from Adelaide <laughs> every month. Yeah, saying you know which one do you like best, and there might be six little bottles, different colours of the whiskey. Um, mm-hmm. They, but they were extraordinarily strong. Mostly all I was tasting was alcohol, but I had to get used to the taste. After yeah. that period. Then I had to employ experts. Yeah. So because I got to the point where, fuck, I don't know. Um, none of us knew. They're wine guys. I'm, I drink whiskey, but like, you know, I'm just a sort of, you know. Not the ins uh, and outs. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I look at Japanese whiskey. I, I wanted a Japanese style, right? So yeah. I like the sweeter yeah. taste on the palate after, and I don't like smoky, et cetera. So, but then I thought, well, so I had to go and get experts. So I went and got whiskey judges who judge whiskey mm. and I had to pay them obviously um, to sort of judge the different bottles and give me their opinions. And when they described it, I couldn't understand a fucking thing they wrote, <laughs> like, uh, you know, chocolate yeah. notes and this. That. Yeah. I didn't find any of that stuff. Yeah. But um, could you explain to me in relation to what you've done here, what is your process? You know, you get the the the, the food scientists, and the, there's a tasting process, and then how do you choose what tastes best? Yeah, we we started out. We kind of knew, first of all, how to make the product and concept, 
how do we wanted a brood base, um, what type of things go into that base. Um, so we, we approached him, kind of gave him the brief, as you said, he came back with all the samples yep. and I think he was used to working with guys that weren't with in the alcohol industry. So he usually just gives it to him and we're chatting to him going, Hey, this, you know, the acidity is a little high on this. The mouthfeel needs to be a little you bit more. Yeah. So we were going back and forth speaking to him and he's going like, shit, these guys actually know what, know they're, what talking they're talking about. about. They've kind of done this before. So yeah, it took a long time. So it wasn't just, Hey, do this. And then we got something back yeah, and yeah. that was it. And then we brought it to the brewer to make it. We went through multiple samples. Yeah. People don't realize that the number of iterations of the tasting and sending it back for um, you might change one thing, but that changes everything. Exactly. And yeah. then you like you just got to keep doing it and doing it and doing. It. So, where would you do this at home on a Saturday afternoon together? Or <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. It was in quite your piss by the end yeah, of the day. Because yeah. we only launched uh, started last year, so this was all done through lockdown of um, COVID when it first kind of locked down. So again, it would be like getting all the samples shipped up to our apartments. Can't really like leave the apartment, so it'd be like, yeah. oh, try it, see how we go, but. Um, and then get Andy to kind of run downstairs and just wait outside, pass him out the bottles and that type of thing. So we definitely went through a, a few iterations, but I think because of our background, and I think that's why our experience previously at Perna was so helpful, is that we needed to sprint from the outset, from when we decided we were going to start to trying to launch four to five months later. We had to sprint. So I think we, we knew what we wanted from a flavor profile. Um, we had a great food scientist who kind of knew what we wanted as well. So it meant that we could move through that iteration process relatively quickly. So I think it was about, only with the flavors, maybe about five or six versions until we got to the final kind of flavors that we've got here. So, but then it was, I guess, the commercial production after that and right. getting up to commercial scale was again yeah. hard. Well that's, well, that's a big issue. I remember when I was in the beer company, we found it very difficult to get our beer produced. We got all our beer produced in Melbourne. Then we ended up getting it produced in China Yeah, because um it was so much cheaper and uh, and especially when it came to bottling, the bottles, the glass. Um, how did you go about finding someone to brew this? Because, I mean, you know, you got to like brew a lot of this shit. And uh, did you go to a beer, beer brewers or who'd you go to? Well, when we first started out, we were just calling people, right? We were like, dude, can do you know how to make a seltzer? And they're like, no, what is that? Like, if you don't have a recipe, we're not making anything for you. So we called you know, 20, 30 brewers seeing if they wanted to do it. And everyone just said, no, you have to come to us with the recipe. So got the first step with that. And then we kind of already spoke to these guys about, can you make it? No. Okay. Now that we've got the recipes, um, you know, sign the NDA, here's the spec sheet on how to make it. Like, is this something that you can do? Um, and it proved to be quite difficult because the way that we do it is not just brewed in a beer that takes one tank, then you have to bring it out and, and put it into a blending tank. Cause once you have the base, you got to add the flavoring and the, the soda water as well. So takes a lot of time, takes four weeks to brew, but then you also have to blend it into a blending tank as well. So it can stall, it can slow down, it can speed up, it can do all these different things, but usually around three to four weeks. So then you have a tank yeah. of just the base. One of the, yeah. just the base. Yeah. And, but no, not the flavor. Not the flavor. Right. Then that's when you have to move it into a blending tank. Yep. And the base is the same in all these. Yep. So then you, you put it into a blending tank, put the um, flavoring, some other stuff um, that we have in there, our secret stuff, and then um, put the 
flavoring and sparkling water in. I'm going to try one of these in a second. So, can you, which one do you reckon I should try? Um, dry and lime, I'd yeah. say. Unless okay. you like a bit of watermelon. But the, no, I'll um, try the dry and lime. Yeah. Yeah. The which one is it? I'm dying to taste it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is it going to go everywhere? Or? No, I don't think Hopefully so. I didn't check. <laughs> okay. Oh, is this your first seltzer? First there ever. You go. Oh, nice. Nice. Enjoy. So, can't start with the best, you know? Okay. Fella. <laughs> Here's to fella. Well, that's that's good. That's also dangerous because I could drink it. I can drink that really quick. And I, yeah. I just, it tastes like it's just a yeah. drink, like a really refreshing drink. Yeah, it's just super refreshing. doesn't get you bloated. Um, that one has, like we said, ginger and lime. We really wanted to prioritize the flavor. Um, these things are so delicate. If there's any imperfections in it, because really it's, it's an alcohol base, with soda water, and flavoring. So it's like cooking an egg. You know, yep. if, if you mess up on any little part of the egg, you it doesn't taste as good. So you need to make sure each aspect of this beverage is, is spot on and it, and it blends well. Well, that, that's sort of quite subtle, the yeah. whole taste. It, it, as you say, delicate. It's, yeah. yeah. I, can, I can get all the different I'm – get, I'm getting better at doing these things, but um, I'm getting all the different tastes, especially after I put it down. And what you find is a lot of them just peer back a lot on that flavor uh, and they don't put – because they will go no sugar – it's really weak kind of flavoring to it, or you're having to pump it with a lot of artificial sweeteners to, to give it that kind of full flavor feel. Um, for us, I mean, we've left a tiny fraction of fruit sugars in there to give it that full-bodied flavor while still having uh, only 83 calories per can. So, so that's equivalent to a, a pure blonde. Less calories less, than a pure less, blonde. Less, yeah, yeah. Not much, it's sort of around the territory though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's sort of healthy if you put it yeah, that exactly in those terms. i mean yeah. the only calories in it are just alcohol yeah so yeah, yeah alcohol is quite a lot of calories generally yeah. speaking but yeah that, that's that's very good i mean I, I really like the taste i like the taste of it mm. i mean i could it's quite refreshing it's a good summer drink yeah totally good summer drink does it come in bottles as well as cans or just a can cans and kegs and kegs why did you choose cans as opposed to say bottles i mean is there something behind that i think it's just there's a can revolution going on and i think mm. with premix it's definitely more of a can i think it's about 80 percent can in that, yeah, is that right? category, yeah. yeah. So I think for us, I mean, we've also chosen the beer can for a very specific reason as well. I mean, we kind of knew that everyone was going to be copying white chlorine coming into the market at the same time. So for us, we didn't want to do what everyone else was going to do. What um, is that? Using a slimline can, so right. 330 mil. It's a little bit thinner than these and a little bit taller, um, but mm. it's what all seltzers use in the States. So yeah. I think for us, it was really important to, to stand apart, do something different. Um, and use a, a beer style can yeah. as well. What do you do in terms of telling the story about Phil? I'm really interested in this because my whiskey is going to be called the bird, yeah. uh, as in, and um, and, <laughs> uh, and it's and uh, so it's a bit of a plain thing. But like telling the story mm. is something we've been grappling with. Mm -hmm. How do you tell a story about three blokes coming together and just doing something stupid? Producing whiskey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And for with sure. aspirations of becoming the best in the world, like you know, what the fuck? Well, how do you tell your story? I mean, and what is the story about, fella? We came up with a over just a beer. I think yeah. we were at Bondi Tony's down in Bondi, and we're just we we're really mulling over how do you call? What do you name a brand like this passion project that you're doing? Mm. And it's really hard to choose a, a specific name. And what we kind of realized is that a lot of great brands, it's not the name specifically; it's the brand you build around it. Yeah. So and the um, story around and the, the story around it exactly. Yeah. So we heard someone saying, "Oh, hey, fella, how's it going?" And it was just a very Aussie way to say hello and yeah, hi yeah. to one of your buddies. So, um, so we landed on that name. We kind of changed it to an R just to make it a little bit different and yeah. audible. Um, but we knew that we didn't want to play on fella because we didn't want to kind of focus on guys with this product. We so we're going to have a blow walking down the thing. Hey, yeah, fella. No, no, we never play on that. We're not yeah, going to no. say like get around the fellas or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. 
So for us, the key proposition was all around this welcome to a land of fizz, which is what everything was going to fall out from. So a land of fizz is the land, so Australia, the sunburnt country, um, which is what all our kind of lingual visual internal cues come from. So everything from our gradients is like from coastal culture, sunsets, everything like that. Colours? The colours, yeah, yeah, sunsets. Um, the name fella, obviously lingual cues from um, Aussie uh, uh, speech. And then the fizz is really that unique Aussie kind of energy stoke for life that we inject into uh, our comms, our tone of voice, and then even our photography, we use really grainy film Super 8. How would you express those things if it comes to advertising? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think we have a, a brand story so much of like we were two guys sitting around and this is the story of fella and created it with this and that. And kind of like, you know how wine labels always have a story on yeah, the back and yeah, everyone's yeah. like, what the fuck is this yeah, story? Yeah, like, no I don't, don't really care about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. It, it's more about people um, interacting with the brand. And we've always said we, we didn't create a seltzer brand. We created a lifestyle brand. We want people to be able to re- relate to this in a very authentic way. And what we've done in that sense is we, we do a lot of our marketing and um, in, in terms of experiences with the brand. So we do a lot of pop-ups in bars, in restaurants, festivals. We, we created our own bar down in the Botanic Gardens where we have monthly music sessions. Um, and people get to experience the brand. That's something that I, I used to work at Red Bull and that was a big thing that they used to do. They'd never do billboards but they would always have experiences. You go to their events, there's girls handing you a can, you interact with that can and you kind of associate good times with that drink. And that's what we kind of want to do with this brand. So it's all about proud to share with your friends, but also having a good time with them. And that's when you reach for fellas, when you're going out with your friends, having a good time. So you do build a brand Bible? We are working on one um, for sure, but I think for us, it's, it's really about cutting through, I guess, you know, a lot of the big brands, they always just do the same stuff. You know, they might just post a photo of, um, you know, Byron Bay or just get an influencer who's really just posted about 10 or 15 other brands in the last like week mm. to push their product. And I think it's going back to building that authentic story and really building brand love with like a customer. It's just like doing something that they relate to that they can really get behind and sell your story for them because if you've got a brand that they really relate to, that they're passionate about, that aligns with their values, and then you've got a liquid that they love, you've instantly got a viral product that they're going to go tell their friends and then they're going to tell their friends. And I think from a small base for two guys just trying to get a brand up and running, that's far more valuable than you know, $10 million on an advertising campaign trying to push something that they've seen a million times. So you launched, when, when did you launch? Sold our first can July last year. In the middle of the... Pandemic. Right in the middle of it. And uh, so you've sort of been <laughs> kicking along for a year and a bit now. Yeah. Um, have you, are you collecting data as to people's experiences? Are they sort of coming along for the ride like you, you've expressed in terms of Just the brand? drive down the beaches in Sydney yeah, and just yeah. see you at the picnics there. So, Serious? Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I haven't been out enough because I've been locked, <laughs> I've been locked up. But yeah, I'm, I'm not joking. Is that, is that the case? Yep. Yeah. People are drinking these these on the beaches and stuff. Absolutely. Solid. Now, so where's your, your demo? Like is it in, um, you said people, but is it young people in Bondi or is it families at um, Nielsen Park? Or, I, mean, I like, think it's, we talk a, about? it's a big mix now. Yeah. When, when we first started out, you obviously kind of create your um, business plan and your target market and you go out and you pitch that. But it's changed a lot. We thought what well, originally it was going to be 20 to – 
25, 25. You know, it's like, that's it. But now that we've seen it, it's this one, the brand, but two, this better for you drinks, people from all ages, all walks of life. You know, you got your tradies that are walking around these big burly dudes and they're drinking a pink can of fella and you see them drinking pink jugs at the bar and it's a big mix now. And I think, um, it's testament to the the brand as well. People kind of buy into it, but like Will said earlier, there's, there's very saturated category at the moment. So there's totally. plenty of options for them to choose from. So. Yeah. Cause you've got to cut through avenue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is saturated. Yeah. yeah. How do you cut through? I mean, or do you don't worry about cutting through? I mean, You've got to cut through. I think it's, we kind of saw that, you know, anyone who has went into this thinking that there wasn't going to be 50 brands following suit in the first year went in very blind. And we kind of knew that everyone was going to come in, throw stuff against the wall, figure out what sticks. So year one was always going to be a bit of a trial, like see what, you know, what flavors people likes, what brands resonate, that type of thing. So a lot of the big brands have really changed their tact. A lot of them have fallen off and disappeared. Um, we've always had a very clear strategy. We've known where we've wanted to go. We've known what brand we wanted to create, what liquid we wanted to go with. So again, we've been able to sprint from the start. So again, that was super important. And then just knowing that everyone was going to copy White Claw. So you've got about 10 like white cans, slimline, tall cans, round logo, some kind of obscure wave reference sitting next to each other. And you're all kind of claiming, oh, I'm low sugar or I'm 83 calories. If you're all doing the same thing, then you're not standing out. There's no point climbing. Exactly. So we've made it very small in our can. And for us, that's why we say we didn't want to create a product. We wanted to create a lifestyle brand. So around this fella product. So that really helps us, I guess, connect more authentically with Aussie culture, Aussie youth, um, and then build that kind of authentic brand that people will tell mm. the story about. So. And is the Aussie piece, I mean, obviously it would appeal to Australians to buy it, but is the Aussie piece also um, something you're playing on because – People in America, for example, love Aussie stuff. A lot of people around the world, like, are you looking at um, exporting it to other countries be- with because of the Aussiness of it, or are you just want, or are you just looking at Australia? I, I don't think originally that's no. what we thought, but um, it it's definitely has its advantages. I think Australian, New Zealand made products are viewed as premium around mm. around the world, and so we kind of already fit into that demographic being premium um, as well. So I think it'll have its advantages, yeah. And clean and good provenance. Yeah. And, you know, there the, the wasn't an arsenic pit next to where yeah. the thing was brewed. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, we know we're not going to get poison blueberries or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was no motive behind it in terms of just going with this. It was just more of an authentic. We wanted to build the brand that we love to live every day. You know, it's really funny. You just said you've got a couple of guys who come from another place and they come to Australia and they've been here for a number of years and there's some things that they really appreciate that they think are pretty cool about Australia. And it takes a couple of foreigners to start to yeah, – we all yeah. take for granted. Yeah. And, you, and what you're doing is you're actually picking it out and you're reselling it back to us. <laughs> and because, and you know, as you say, we take – as I said, we take for granted. But once you talk about it, it yeah. is important. Oh, definitely. How, how did COVID affect you, the COVID lockdowns and all that stuff? Um, yeah, it affected us. Well, we were going to start in the on-premise. So we were about to put all this damn liquid into kegs and go, let's really shake this up. Let's be the first seltzer on tap and not even worry about cans and build the brand in the on-premise because people get to experience it. You're going out, you know, you're having a good time with your mates in these really cool pubs. You get to be associated with those pubs, use their name to build your brand as well. Um, and then COVID hit and we went, shit, we've got to stick this stuff into cans now. And you can imagine trying to sell in a new category and a new product 
into retailers that have no idea what a seltzer is, let alone your brand. So you can imagine trying to sell something in like that is super hard. Um, so we got it into some independent shops and bottle shops, but then it was the whole, how do we get people to, to buy it? Because one, usually with a new brand or a new category, you're doing tastings. So you walk into an independent shop. Hey, Mark, why don't you try, have you tried a seltzer? No, try this. It's fella. Can't even do that. You know, like 101 yeah. basic. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite nerve wracking. Oh, yeah. Started it. We've got all this product and now we've got to kind of call people because you weren't even allowed to go into the bottle shops really and be like, can I taste it with you? The bottle shops were like, dude, we're not taking reps in. So yeah, it was a slow burn at the beginning. Okay. So you're right. With the little experience I have in this, mm. um, if you can't be in there doing a taste test, um, and you know, obviously didn't have the budget to start off with to you know advertise the shit out of it on television or whatever or wherever everybody's watching, if your price is not right and you're not the thing that everybody's already buying, you're not going to be up the front of the shop, the bottle shop. You're mm -hmm. going to be at the liquor store. You're going to be down a little bit further down because everyone fights for position in yeah. the liquor store. How did people start? Tasting you, like I mean, how, how it's a weird work? thing, eh? Like you have well, this like dream of like starting a business and like getting out, selling it, going chatting to people, and then you're on your computer in your apartment, locked down, just like people drinking this yet, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you kind of realize that that first moment when you know that your friends have stopped or it's gone beyond your friend group and that type of thing is when you kind of really get excited and that type of thing. But again, it had to the brand had to stand on its own two legs. Yeah. So if someone was going to see it and try it. Um, then tell their friends about it. Then you know it had to do that job itself. So but I if think I that's walked in the store, sorry, but if I walked in the store and I saw it there, yeah, I don't know what it is, so I'm not going to buy it. And then I'll and you know the dude at the counter, he's not going to sell me. I, I probably wouldn't even ask. But how did you get me to? Well, we we pushed our socials, so yeah. that that kind of got a little bit of the story out. And we started in Bondi. That's where kind of we sold to some guys that we knew in the bottle shops there, helped us out, took a chance on us, put us on the shelf, told all of our friends about it. We gave some product away to some people that we wanted to work with. We don't really do kind of um, influencers, but we work with artists a lot. So giving the product to them, chatting to them. And yeah, eventually... You know, the seltzer category started picking up momentum and people started talking about it. And then White Claw announced that they were going to come. And now all of a sudden people were kind of new of the seltzer category. But we also did in-store visibility, putting up posters, putting up wobblers, just all the standard stuff. And luckily the can stuck out on shelf and people started kind of drinking. And then we, yeah, we just blew up in, in Bondi because that's where Will and I were based. And those are the only bottle shops that we could get into. And yeah, it's, um, it's grown fast over the year and it's been awesome. In terms of distribution, how do you distribute your product? Um, well, we, we use a lot of wholesalers, so wholesale business. Um, we're in the likes of ALM, ILG, those guys, and they distribute to um, independent bottle shops. And then we're also in um, Woolies, which is Dan Murphy's BWS and Coles. How'd you get into Dan Murphy's? What, what's the process of getting them to stock your product when everyone's trying to get there? Yeah. Well, they've got a category manager and he's the gatekeeper. So right. this guy, for all Dan Murphy's and BWS, there's one dude that makes a decision for a category. So the RTD category. Right. Then they've got one for beer and wine and spirits. So this guy is the gatekeeper. You need to get him to look at your brand, believe in what you're doing, 
also commercials as well, but a lot of it's, you know, do these guys actually know what they're going to be doing? So you pitch to them brand, you taste it with them and then they go, okay, well we want X amount of margin. And you go, you fucking kid. <laughs> yeah. Out of the price. <laughs> yeah. And you recommend a retail yeah, yeah, price. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's a lot combination of things. And that's, again, the first time we had our first meeting with them was right before lockdown. Mm-hmm. Seltzer category was pretty much non-existent. So these guys were like, we're only going to put one of these things on shelf. Now they've got, you know, two bays of it, 30, 40 products in each store. Um, but yeah, it's just negotiating with them. Once they believe in the brand, they, they like the taste it's negotiation on price. And and then with the distribution within their stores. Cause once you get with them, they're everywhere. I mean, they're the, by far those two Coles and Woolies are by far the biggest. Well, they sort of do your marketing for you because they're basically basically marketing organizations who charge you a fee for shelf space. Exactly. Yeah. That's how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. It's real estate, right? Yeah, it's, it's real estate. Yeah. And you know what, when, when we first did it, we got knocked back at first. They said, look, we're taking one or two seltzers. We're going to go with the big guys because they obviously give them a lot of money and, yeah. and marketing funds and everything else. And then they called us back and they went, Hey, we're going to start this local program. We'll give you X amount of stores. We'll test it out, see how you guys go. Um, and then, yeah, we jumped onto that and it moved extremely well. We had the number one array to sell seltzer kind of in the stores that we were in. And we've slowly built our distribution, which was kind of a blessing in disguise because you jump up, you need more cash flow. Yeah, you need, and we needed to raise more, more money. So Will and I still we, we did a small raise um with friends and family. But other than that, we haven't brought on any That's cool. external investments. So where to from here? Build out a little bit. I think that's like, so Woolies and Coles, obviously for us, because it was just two of us in the whole business, that's the easiest route to get broad distribution because you're talking to one person who has access to all those stores. So I think at first, like that's why we kind of went for those kind of channels. The independent channel is huge. It's about you know, eight to 10,000 stores of individual store owners around Australia. The problem with that is you actually need to go pretty much knock on every mm-hmm. single door. So for a small brand trying to get into the, the kind of banner group um, core rangings, you need to have about 80% of the ranging anyway. So not having a sales team ourselves and not being able to go out and knock on every single door, we went down the, the national account routes. But now I think we've still got, you know, 10% ranging in those. We can still grow in those areas. But this independent area is where our focus is now. So we've obviously got a sales team that we're onboarding now, which is great. Some awesome guys uh, had just started, and that's kind of where we see the growth of the business for this year as well. It's interesting. Um, timing is such an important thing. Mm. I mean, your timing—I could call it impeccable, but but I could also call it sort of synchronistic too, because or and sometimes it requires both. I mean, we had COVID, people locked down, people were more interested in looking up different things, tried different things. You know, people are more curious, much more adventurous. People also aware of trends overseas for some reason. You know, we all checked out certain things, and and then here you guys are launching sort of pretty early doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but off the back of your own experiences, though, at uh, Perno, yeah, I I would not want to be coming into the space now. Yeah, you know, it's it's already diluted. It's super saturated. It's um. Yeah, I don't think that <laughs> people will be wanting to put more seltzers on their no. shelf space. A lot of things have definitely gone our way. So we've been relatively lucky, especially just being two guys up against, you know, your Smirnoffs. Like every single big beer company, spirits company, anyone who's sold a alcohol venture in the last three years has thrown their head in the ring. So 
we're up against everyone and it's just been the two of us. So we're excited now to bring on a team finally to yeah. start helping out because we've both had newborns as well in our first year of business. And yeah, so time's definitely been stretched out. And Well, it, it, but it takes me back to right to the very beginning, to be honest with you, in t- when we're talking about timing, and it's not luck, but um, you two guys made a decision at the right time if not, if not for that moment where you both have we having a beer one day and you both decide, okay, well, I'm going to do it, and you go two weeks later. Yeah. If not for that moment, you might have delayed another year, and COVID could have hit, and you goes, oh shit, there's no, no point doing it now. Let's just ride it out a little bit. We're with big company getting paid wages. Let's let's just be careful, mm-hmm. and then you could have missed the boat completely. Yeah. Do you, oh, do you reflect on that? Oh, I, I I've wanted to start so many things, right? I, I used to run my own business and then jumped into this, and you know, I see trends like. I'm from California. I was like, fuck, I want to start a Mexican food restaurant, you know, yeah. kind of like, and then all of a sudden there's Mad Mex Embraer, all these things. And then, you know, there's a frozen yogurt thing that I was looking at. And then you just see these people do it and, and you kind of go, fuck, I should have just done it. Yeah. So I think I got to that point where I always knew I want to jump back and work for myself and do something. And like Will said, it's, it's, I think it's easier when you have someone doing it with you because yeah. it kind of, you get to share that load, you get to share that stress and, and, and catch up and, and make sure everything's going you well. Get and do it. Too. Yeah. yeah. I was quite lucky. I think I found out three weeks after I quit my job that I was having my first child and I was just <laughs> like, so I feel like if I had delayed it and I, you know, and I found that out, then, you know, you'd run it in your mind. Like, should I stay in a more, you know, safe, you know, corporate job, you know, really kind of take the paycheck or, um, I still probably would have gone for it, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it just it makes you think. What would you say? about that moment when you think it's time, I've got to do this. Yeah. I mean, we just fully did uh, our research. So I think, and what I say is that we always kind of, we work to our unfair advantage. So we had such a broad range of experience. So Andy in sales and um, me in kind of marketing and innovation. So we kind of had the base level of like experience. We knew we could do this and we knew we could do it very fast. So I think it was just, and I've wanted to do like brands before and I just never really took that jump. I think we kind of got all our ducks in a row. We kind of knew that we could potentially do this, get it working. And then it was just that leap and just, and I think that's where what Andy said, you know, having both of us being like there together in the same boat, being like, yeah, let's do this really helped. Cause I think if I've always looked at doing stuff myself and I've never really taken that leap because it was just all on me and I just never made myself make that leap. And I think that's where having Andy there was, you know, that extra support and having someone there along for the ride was really important. But why not? You know, it's like, Mm. I was in a, corporate job i did like it but if it didn't work you just go back right <laughs> it's funny you just said that some people ask why some people say why not yeah and uh and i know i'm i'm a big believer in partnership too like what you've done i mean i i just think it's it's much more powerful mm. in your own mind yeah it, it's probably not that much more power but it is much more powerful because you just believe in yourself a lot more and you end up having belief in the idea the business and then when one's down, the other one picks you up and vice versa, et cetera, and you can sort of ride through it better. Quickly ask you, I'll offer to you, do you, do you have a question for me? Do you have any questions you want to ask me? Obviously, there's just been two of us in the business. So mm. um, we're now looking to start building out our kind of advisors and that type of thing and build out, a, I guess, a strong board eventually. Yeah. I think that's a really good point you just made, by the way, advisory board. I don't think you need to have people on your board. Um, and mm. as soon as you start asking people, could you join my board, they get nervous mm. because all of a sudden they become responsible as directors. you got to work out how do I find somebody who is like-minded, um, will challenge me, challenge me in things that I'm good at and also be adjunctive to things that I'm not good at and put them on, the, on a side 
environment. You don't, because unfortunately, sometimes you can get these individuals who then want to try and run the business for you. And that's not what you fucking want. That, that is a punish. That is a total punish. Um, and or they get so nervous outside, when they're not on just an advisory board, but they're on a board or they have some sort of um, official role, they get so nervous that everything they tell you is always guarded and around, it sort of sits around compliance. And it's, that's what leads them. You want freewheeling, um, free-thinking, um, experienced, adventurous individuals um, who are doing their doing it there if you can because they absolutely love it. Yeah, and I'll shoot straight straight with you, huh? Yeah, no shit, no, just straight into it, and uh, and not there for the lifestyle. Yeah, you know, not there because they get a you know a you know a pallet of fucking free booze every month or some of that. You know, what I mean, like I know I'm exaggerating, but. Yeah, but that's that's how I tend to form my advisory groups, um, and but most important, I think you said a really important thing. They tell you straight; they don't fuck around. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a tricky thing to do. I've been on I've been on strategic advisory boards where dads have asked me to go on a, a strategic advisory board for their kids who are running businesses. I used to do it, and uh, I found the dads used to tend to. Get in my ear, and they were actually using me to try and control <laughs> the kids. Yeah, to yeah. And uh, and then I resigned. There shouldn't be any affiliation. Definitely, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, guys, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed. Your, <laughs> your, I'll leave you some more. So, yeah. yeah, enjoy. I, I love the name, fella. I mean, it, actually, it's an old school name. I mean, yeah. no, I used to. I, I got friends, older friends, who would say to me, "Hey, fella," that's how they used to talk to us. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, it is very Aussie. I don't hear it that much these days, but I, I certainly used to hear it a Making lot a when I was a kid. Yeah, it's well, it's made a comeback. It's right here. It's made a comeback. There it is. Right there. There you go. So, I'm going to have another crack at yeah, this. Give it a go. And so it's on tap as well. So it's been a, a big push for us. So. It's very good. I, I really like that taste. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Um, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.